1: I'm curious to know who is, the big question, it's going to be behind us, uh, 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 behind here, it should be a question, who is married the longest in our church? Who is married the longest in our church? Both uh, have to be here, all right, yeah, everybody, they just pointed Jen and Ray, so I know Jen and I are 21 years married, but that's like, that's like baby, baby stage in a sense. Jen and Ray, how many years? 51. <laughs> now, just in case, is there any other married couple here that beats 51? No one? And just so let you know, Jen's grandparents... Pretty much almost reached 70 years of being married. So, so, but 51 Rain Janet, without question, I know that part of the secret of being married that length of time is having chocolate. So if you guys could come come down. Come to what? Come, I know Come on down. Well, Jan is going to come for both of you. Well, why don't, Rick, why don't you come down? Come down. Why don't we give them an applause? Actually, actually, why don't you come on stage? Why don't you come on stage? Come on stage. Why don't you come on stage? Why don't you see it's becoming deeper and deeper. Come on stage. There, There might be something else we need you to do. So, Oh, and, and for you to know, Ray loves when people give him hugs. And so wait, wait, no, 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 come, go, go go don't worry. Come here into the light. A box of chocolate. Are you? You're gonna share. The secret is to share with your wife, right? She's gonna share. She's gonna share with him. So he, a box of chocolate there. A big hug for Ray. So. Uh, I, I I, know I know what he would... Don't go anywhere yet. I know what he would say to me at this moment, but we can't because we're live streaming it and stuff like that. But I know what you would say. But guys, wait, wait. I need you to stand here. Do you know what this is, guys? This is a unity candle. So we're going to pretend that today is your, fir- your wedding day. All right? Your wedding day. So we're all... We're, we're we're all part we're we're all part of the ceremony, okay? The, the ceremony. So we're gonna be doing the unity candle. You can hold this right. You could hold this. Let me light it for you un poquito ahí. All right, there. Now before you light the unity candle. Guys, you got to pretend like this is like a wedding and stuff. And usually you don't apl- uh, do loud applause during the unity candle part. But when they unite the candle, let's make a lot of noise like we're celebrating their wedding. 51 years, too. Ready? And the count of three. One, two, three. <clears throat> now you blow out the individual ones. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the chocolate. Ray, do you want another hug? Should I give him another hug? One time time only. It's so funny because I I so want to say what he normally says to me, but I have to keep it I have to keep it kosher. So it's not bad. It's not bad. It's just you have to know it in context. Thank you so much, Ray. So um, for those of you that don't know, but I think it's, I did this illustration in the Spanish service, and um, this is an American um, pretty much tradition for weddings. Um, A lot of the Spanish cultures in their countries actually don't do it. Like they they were like, it was the first time they ever saw it when we did it in the Spanish service. But for those of you that don't know, when you do the unity candle, it symbolizes two individual lives um, becoming one. Becoming one, and then you blow out the two candles, because you're no longer individuals. You're one. You're united as one. Um, so one last time, why don't we thank Ray and Janet for helping us out? So today we're going to focus on first and Second Corinthians. And I just want to start off by saying Paul started a church in Corinth. And he pretty much started a church in Corinth 50 years after Jesus um, pretty much died and resurrected. And after he started the church, he was there for about a year and a half in the city of Corinth. And after he left, pretty much he got word that things were going really bad in Corinth. There were a lot of issues, a lot of problems and he wrote letters to Corinth. So, I have a little question. How many letters do you think Paul wrote to the church of Corinth? A lot? Well, many many people say two because there's 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Um, they say two. The reality is we don't know. It was a trick question. We really don't know how many uh, was written, but it's, a, it's believed by experts that there were four main letters that were written. It could have been more, but there were four. Now, something for us to realize, First Corinthians in the Bible, it's not the first letter. It's considered the second letter because in First Corinthians, when you're reading it, it refers to Paul's previous letter. It's an unknown letter. We don't know pretty much what that um, letter said, but 1 Corinthians is the second one. And their response, the church of Corinth, was actually not a good one. They were pretty much like, forget Paul. Like, you know, like they they, didn't want to hear more about Paul. And then after that, I, I told you the first letter is unknown. The second letter is 1 Corinthians. And then we have 2 Corinthians in the Bible. 2 Corinthians is actually believed to be two letters in one. Two letters in one. And just for you to know, you could write it down. You could read it for yourself. The third letter is believed to be chapters 10 through 13. Chapters 10 through 13 is the third letter. And the fourth letter is believed to be chapters 1 to 9. And when you get home, I'm going to give you homework. Uh, you could read Second Corinthians and first read chapters 10 to 13, and then read chapters 1 through 9, and you'll get you'll see that it's a different tone that pa, um, Paul is speaking. It's a different tone in the letter. It's a different theme, like you know, you could tell like it's it's pretty much two different letters, but at a certain point, it was combined into one. So it's se- Second Corinthians. Now, out of First and Second Corinthians, what's one of the most popular verses that you will ever find in the Book of Corinthians? First Corinthians, chapter thirteen, which is the love chapter. And, um, and that is one of the most popular ones. And even if you've never read the book of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, you've heard the love chapter. If you've gone to any wedding, usually it's read, maybe during the unity candle part. And it, it says this. It's going to be behind me. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always. All right, let's do that again. Always. 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 Love never fails. So here... You, you, you see it. And how many of you have heard this before? Raise your hand. Pretty much probably all of us have heard this before. Now we're going to do something a little different. It's going to be a little bit of a challenge, a little bit. Um, we're going to read the same passage, but instead of reading the word love and where love would be, I want you to put your name there. Okay? So it's going to be here. So you're going to read it to yourself, and I want you to add your name and read it through. So how are you guys doing? How many of you, it was easy to do that? How many of you, it was a little challenging to do that? I would say for most of us, it was challenging. Um, So here something that's important for us to know is that nowadays the word love is thrown around and used in so many different ways um, and it loses its context. Like when you think about it, I could easily say, I love God, but I could also say, I love Bandeja Paisas. And you're going to see here behind how many of you love Bandeja Paisas? This one right here is from next door. And trust me, they didn't pay me to say anything. But uh, that's, uh, that's a Bandeja Paisa there. And look at the chicharrón. That's upstairs, uh, up there in the top part, which is great. But obviously, I could say I love God. But I could also say I love Bandeja Paisas. Um, I could say, too, that I love basketball. Uh, how many of you love sports? Oh so, some some of you don't know. I, I played for the Orlando Magic um, for a couple years. Yeah, so... Um, I, I have a lot of skills. Thanks to Pastor Debbie. Uh, she 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 made this picture. She asked Billy to make this picture of me for another teaching. She forgot to use it, but I, I wanted to use it for here. So for those of you that do know me, I love to play basketball. Um, I was much better when I was younger, but I still got some skills. Um, I, I used to be able to dunk like that. No, just kidding. I wish I was able to dunk like that. But as you can tell, the word love could be thrown around very easily. It could be thrown around when it comes to everything that we say. We love this, we love that, whatever whatever it is. But what's important to know is that the New Testament was written in what language? Greek. It was written in Greek. And there's four distinct, and I have my Greek friend here, you could. You, you you could correct me if I mispronounce anything too. She's like, she's from Greece. So you better say this right. So um, so pretty much here, you'll see four different um, words that in the Greek language, they use to describe love. Like in the English language, we pretty much just use love as like the main word. So that's why you use it for so many different things. But in the Bible, it's important to know that in the Bible, when you see the word love, if you do the analysis of it and you go deeper and you see the original meaning of that word, you could find out which out of the four it's referring to. And a lot of people, sometimes they read the Bible and they don't realize that. And they, th- they see love and love is here and there and everywhere, but there are specific meanings to the word. So here you're going to see uh, eros. Oh, uh, wait, come, come up here. Oh, I actually just stand up and say it. Say, say it so they can hear. It. Ready? Eros. eros, eros. Okay, okay, okay. Well, you see, I the only thing I know about Greece is I love Greek food. I love moussaka. So no, no, no. no but okay, eros. Okay, eros. That's the kind of love that is for romantic love. So anytime you see eros, it's romantic love. Um, the next one. You see, storge. Uh, I would have probably gotten a little wrong. Storhi, The next one is, is pretty much talking about family love. Um, there, that's like the type of love you would have for your brother, your sister, um, you know, like your cousins, those in your family. Philia. Oh, oh, you got a mic. Oh, oh, um, they have to know that she has the mic. Oh, what color is it? Blue mic in the ba- at the bottom. If we could turn it on. Speaker mic Okay, use you teach your teacher voice. So Philia? Philia. All right? Philia. Everyone say, Philia. This is a Greek class. Philia. So this one is deep friendship. Like for like your best friend, uh, like you, you'll have Philia love for them. And something um, that's important to know is that the three loves that we've highlighted are pretty much loves that you could have in a sense with your own strength and being, you could say. But now stepping into the last love is a love that you need God to be in your life to really give. And I'm going to highlight that. How do you pronounce the last one? Agape. Agape. Okay, okay. So, are you, agape. Okay, everyone got that? One, two, three. Agape. Okay, so this, thank you. Why don't, why don't we give, give Giotta? See, Giotta is a teacher by f- profession, and you're helping us out here too. Um, so here, I want to highlight Agape, like pretty much this love, and it's the highest form of love. Is the love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love. And it gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or undeserving or your greatest enemy. It is love that loves even when it's rejected, hurt, wounded, abandoned, and in pain. Agape loves, gives, and um, love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect a repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. So this type of love is at a whole different level, is the highest form of love. And we need you need God to be in your life to be able to have this type of love. Jesus speaks about this love to his disciples in Luke chapter 6, Verses 27 to 36, you could turn to your uh, Bibles and follow along if you want, it's gonna be behind too. Jesus says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Now, what type of love is this? Okay, agape love. So this is the love that Jesus is referring to. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Then he continues. If you love those who love you, what credit is that? to you. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Something that's so special here too is that when you choose to love with this type of love, God, Jesus says, your reward will be great and then he said, and you'll be children of the most high. So I know we, we all could notice, like if you know someone's child or behavior, when they start acting a certain way, you'll be, you'll, you'll be like, oh, that's like the dad or that's like the mom. You can see the similarities of the imitation of the way that they are acting to their parent. In the same way here, if we want to look like God, like Father God, we would have the same type of love as he does within us. And here it says that we would have this agape love, like pretty much for everyone. So it's so important to know that this is what sets you apart and really shows everyone that your child of God is having this type of love. And I know before I was even reading 1 Corinthians 13, Something that's important for us to highlight, and I, I forgot to mention, too, that in that chapter, in the beginning of the chapter, much just talks about, like, you could have all the spiritual gifts that you want, all, all, all the skills in the world. You could, you, could have the, you could speak the languages of angels, but if you do not have this type of love, this type of love—now, I'm not talking about, like, any other type of love—this type of love is pretty much having nothing. It's as if you have nothing. so in this world, and even as Christians, we might put more emphasis in having so many other things, like uh, let's say um, being a Bible scholar, knowing tons of uh, knowledge about the Bible, which is important, of course. But if you don't have love, what good is that knowledge? You know, you could have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have love, what good is that knowledge? You could be the best worship leader in the world, but if you don't have love, what good is that? You, you could be the best teacher in the world, but if you don't have love, what good is that? You know, like for all of us, we need to realize that the foundation is love. 100% is love. And God wants to reward that with us. And I, I mentioned it before, it's impossible, impossible to have this type of love without God being in your life, fully in your life, and if you remember when I did the the book of Acts, when I spoke about it, I had two uh, containers here, and I poured water into one to the top, signifying a biblical Christian versus a church-attender Christian. There's a big difference, and it's impossible to live a life with this type of love without God's presence fully in your life, because it's impossible. Because this ty- that type of love is so dependent on God that no matter what anyone would do to you, you would repay them with love back. So when you think about it, when was the last time you took the time or I took the time to pray for our enemies, for those that mistreat us, for those that hurt us, for those that abuse us, for those that talk about us, hate on us, you know, like treat us like garbage or make us feel like like horrible in every form um, of the sense you could say. Like when was last time we responded and literally responded and say, let me take the time to pray for that person and pray for their family and pray that they get to know God and their lives be transformed. Like that is like the highest form That's impossible to do in our own strength. We need God's presence to be fully in our lives. And just to remind you, when I was talking about having God's presence fully in our lives, that is a life that chooses not just to accept Jesus in their life, but someone that has him as the Lord of their life, not just as savior, because everybody wants a savior, as the Lord of their life, that Jesus is sitting on the throne of their hearts and then also living a surrendered life. 100% surrendered. It's not about living for what you want to do, but it's like living for God and you surrender everything to him. The next step I highlighted during that teaching was holiness, where you're separated onto him. You don't entertain sin. You don't, we all sin every single day. None of us are perfect there's a big difference between the person that has sins and surrenders to God and asks God to transform them. You dust yourself off and you still run to pursue God, to obey him compared to someone that entertains it, lives it, pretty much doesn't care that they're sinning and, and lives that way. There's a big difference between the two. So God wants us to be completely surrendered, set apart, and living in holiness. And lastly, I mentioned um, during the book of Acts, during that teaching, was death to yourself. Deaf to yourself. It's literally, the, the best way I can describe it is you, you get to the point where you you almost and I, I might have mentioned this at the last teaching, you get to the point in your Christian walk where you literally have a funeral for your own life. you have a funeral for your life, and that's the best way I could describe it i i i, I and this is something that it's not like like once in life, like, like literally many times it might occur during your life, but I remember clear as Day, certain days when I'm like, you know what, God, I don't live anymore. Like, I, I pretty much quoting what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. So Paul was saying, hey, I'm dead. This is my funeral. I no longer live, but I, like the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for, for me. So he's pretty much declaring that he's crucified with Christ and that he's not living, but Christ is living in and through him. So that is part of the journey that we have to take to make room. And I know we, we've sang that before, like it, it, here in the church, to make room for God so that he could come in and flood our lives. The greatest example that we have of this is Jesus, of course. And when you think about it, Jesus loved those Loved everyone, but while he was being crucified, while the crucifixion was happening, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. This was while the crucifixion was happening. He was praying on their behalf and asking God to forgive them. And that's the greatest example of agape love that level the highest form of love here you are praying for people that are technically your enemies praying for someone that's literally killing you praying for someone that's literally hurting you causing pain to you and pretty much like taking the very life out of you and i mean you could probably think of tons of things you could be doing or saying at that moment You know, many people could just turn around. Many criminals would be um, crucified in this way. I guarantee you the majority, 99% of them would probably be cursing at those that were crucifying them. And here's Jesus, instead of cursing at them, of course, he's blessing them and praying for God's forgiveness over their life. Jesus loved those that were sinners, all of us. Jesus loved those that were rejected, by the um by society um he didn't care if they were rich, poor, he didn't care what political party they were a part of or what religious beliefs that they had, or the, he didn't care if you were a woman or man, a kid, you know he loved everyone with this type of love, and it was in the abundance to bless everyone that he encountered. He loved everyone with all of his heart, without reservation. So this is the thing that he, even Jesus, while walking on the earth, he had a super close relationship with Father God. Super close relationship with Father God. And they were one. The same way, obviously, we highlighted the unity candle before. So we know that Jesus and the Father, and we know, I need like a third candle for the Holy Spirit, They were one, one, and this is the type of unity that they had. But of course, while Jesus was walking on the earth, he had to do everything from a human standpoint to preserve that unity with God as well. And we see this clearly in a couple key verses I want to highlight in the major points I want to bring out today too. The first one is this, Jesus imitated his father. Jesus imitated his father, and let me explain. In John chapter five, verses nineteen, it says this: Jesus gave them this um, this answer to the disciples. He said, "Verily, uh, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. Nothing. He prema says he can not do nothing by himself. He could only do. Um, he can do only what he sees." his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So right here, I I just, my goal in this time period is for you to see the closeness that Jesus had with the father and of course the Holy Spirit. Here, he pretty much says, look, I I can't do nothing by myself. I could only do what I see the father doing. So every single day of Jesus's life, like as he's walking this earth, His heart and his mind, his soul and his spirit is focused on the Father, trying to hear from him, trying to see what he's doing so that he could imitate it and execute it on earth. That's the closeness that he had. And that's a challenge for all of us because when you think about it, as we go through life, how often do we pray? How often do we spend time like seeking God for the decisions we have to make? Imagine if we just learned that lesson from um, Jesus. And we're like, instead of going through our regular day, we take a moment to talk to the father and say, father, what are you doing? What are you doing in my life right now that I don't see? What are you doing in my workplace? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing? What are you doing with my enemies? What are you doing? So I could see where, where you're working So I could align myself and imitate what you're doing so that we could accomplish what your will is. So that would be a huge game changer for all of our lives. The second major point is this. Jesus depended on the Father completely. In John chapter 5, verse 30, he says this. It starts off similarly to the other verse. Jesus says, by myself, I can do nothing. Now, I want to pause there for a second. Jesus literally, that's how dependent he was to the Father, that he literally said, by himself, he can do nothing. That's how close he was to the Father. It's like, I'm not going to go off rogue and do whatever I want. By myself i can 't do no, i can 't do anything i 'm going to stay so close to the Father that we're going to be doing things together and then it continues. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me like for you to see like the closeness, something that stood out to me I was reading this morning, and it wasn 't even for the message, I was reading some, listening to some of the, bio, the scriptures, something that stood out to me was that Jesus, before he selected the disciples, the night before, he didn't sleep all night praying as he was starting that journey to start selecting the disciples. And I just saw that and knowing the teaching I was doing, and it was just He wanted to see what the father had to say, what he was doing, so he could imitate what was happening in heaven, you could say, here on earth. And he prayed all night, all night, to know the will of the father when it came to this topic. Lastly, the third topic is this. I mean, the third major point is this. Jesus lived to do his father's will. In John chapter 4, verse 34, this is one of my favorite verses, and b- before we read it, I'm going to give you a little context. Here, they're pretty much doing ministry with the disciples, and time is ticking. And obviously, Jesus is human. He, he's hungry, too, and they know he's hungry, too. So everybody's talking about what they're going to eat, what are they going to do for food, and everything like that. And, and they're thinking about what are they going to bring to Jesus? Maybe a bandeja paisa, you know, who knows? Whatever they're going to bring. No bandeja paisas back then. And I don't think there's bandeja paisa now. Either. Who knows? Probably now too. Mm-hmm. But they were probably trying to think of what to bring Jesus, some bread. And then when they approached Jesus, Jesus' response to them was this. John chapter 4, verse 34. He said, my food, Jesus, said, Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. When it comes to the closeness, when it comes to the dependency, when it comes to the obedience and the surrender life that Jesus had for, um, with the Father, here he said, my food, I don't need physical food, Jesus was saying. My food is to do the will of the one that sent me, to accomplish the work. And to me, I see this, and that's an example to all of us. Like, I love to eat food. I mean, food, those that know me very close, I could tell you where to go eat. Like, I, like I, 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 should have been, I should have been a food connoisseur. Like, you could almost tell me any category of food. I'm like, that's a good restaurant. That's a good place to eat. You know, go there. That's a good little corner. That's a little good bodega. They have good sandwiches. You know, I, I could tell you where to find food. I love food. But as much as I love food, my greatest passion of sustenance in my life has to do God's will. That has to be. Like, this is in the Bible as an example for us. And Jesus wants us to live this way to do this. But I just feel like we miss it, like so many times, because we miss having this closeness with God. Because God wants us to have this closeness. If I would ask you if you're prideful, most people would say that they're not. Um, and when I say prideful or having pride like I'm not talking about like the good pride, like if, if you just finished building a house from scratch, if I ever get to a point where I could build a house from scratch? I'm looking at Jen because Jen knows I'm not handy at all. Yeah. For me to build a house, I have probably little Legos, you know, and stuff like that. But if I ever get to a point to build a whole house from scratch, you better believe I'm going to stand back, and be like, yo, I did that. I can't believe I did that. Like, you know, like th- that is like you're, you're, you're taking pride in what you accomplish. That's not a... Bad in a sense, as long as you still give glory to God, because God is the one that gave you the strength and the wisdom to be able to do it in the first place. But when it comes to the bad pride, um, the, the pride that we know that God hates, most of us would pretty much say, Oh, we're not prideful. But I want to let you know that the highest form of pride, because I know we're talking about the highest form of love. The highest form of pride is prayerlessness, it's lack of worshiping God, it's lack of surrender, and lack of obedience. You know why that's the highest form of pride? Because if we feel like we could go through one day in our life without prayer, worshiping God, surrendering or obeying him, We think we could do it by ourselves. We think we could do it on our own. And that's pride because you've elevated yourself in the place that God and God alone should be at. And you and I, and believe me, I've been there. We think we could go through life without tuning in to the author of life and allowing him to give us the sustenance and the resources and the wisdom and strength to get through the day. Uh, Like, and and it's one of those things, obviously, every day is different, but it's getting into the discipline of praying, worshiping, surrendering, and obeying God. Like, even, and I, a lot of this is not even in my notes. Um, I really believe with all my heart that the enemy, he, he could care less that you consider yourself a Christian. He doesn't care. You know how many people say that they're Christian? <laughs> so, he could care less that you consider yourself a Christian. His goal is to neutralize you. He, he could care less that you say you're a Christian. He could care less that you say that you love Jesus. Be- because you're uh, so many times disconnected from the source. You're disconnected from the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and not living a life that's surrendered. And I feel like the enemy, he wants you not to pray. And just, I want to give a special shout out to all of you prayer warriors every day in the morning. We have about 20, 25 people that tune in every mo- morning, Monday to Friday in our church to pray. Prayer, the enemy wants to silence you from praying to God. He doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to worship. He doesn't want you to give God glory. He doesn't want you to tune in and do what you were created to do, which was to, uh, which is to worship God. I, and I have to say, when it comes to worship, um, those that know me too, I'd love to worship. Um, like if, if I would be able to transform my house and put surround sound in the whole house, wherever I'm at, and have worship music 24-7, I would have it. Um, it, it, Jen knows too. Literally, I wake up in the morning. First thing I do, I put in my earbud and I put on my worship playlist. First thing. I I just go through... Sometimes I'm in meetings and I have the earbud with worship in the background. Literally... Like, I just love to worship God. And I just feel like when I worship God, like I'm able to be in tune with him. And also surrender. When we don't surrender with God, we lack being in tune. When we don't obey God, we're living in disobedience. So the highest form of pride is not, if I would have asked you before, could you think of someone that's prideful? You'd be like, oh yeah, this person or this person or this person. The highest form is prayerlessness, lack of worship, lack of surrender, and lack of obedience. You see, this oneness and unity is what God desires for us and Him as well. In the Bible, there's a theme and it highlights as the church being the bride of Christ. How many of you have heard that before? The church being the bride of Christ and, and pretty much we will be united with Him. And and here we see this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. It starts off talking about husbands and wives in general. And for those of all of, uh, all of us, especially, I know we were talking about marriages before. It starts off like this. Husbands, love your wives. What type of love do you think it says there? Agape. Agape here. Some of you probably want to focus on Eros here. This one is agape. Husbands, agape your your wives. So, I mean, we we could do a whole sermon just on that one. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up um, for her to make her holy, to make the church, and we know the church is not the building, it's the believers, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkled or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So here we clearly see that God wants us, the church, to be one with him to the point that he uses illustration of marriage he uses the illustration of marriage that the church is pretty much being married to Jesus, signifying the closeness as an illustration of the closeness that our relationship has to be with God. So the same way the unity candle was done before picture, this as being God and this is being the church. And when God sees the way our relationship should be with him, it's both of us being together. As one. So, without question, God wants us to look like that, one with Him, to have that type of relationship. But you know what's something with God? He takes things even a step further. He says this that He doesn't just want the church to have this close relationship with Him, He wants the church to have that close relationship. With one another. Every single person here to be one like that. To be one like that. In John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23, this is Jesus praying and we hear his prayer with this. He says, My prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe me through their message. That's us. We've believed God through the message that have been passed down through generations. That all of them may be, let's do that again. That all of them may be, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So from Jesus' perspective, we could be one the way that Father God and Jesus are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So, there's so much there, but it, it's like God wants us to be one. God wants us to be one. And and so many times, I guess the best way I, I, I could highlight it is just the fact in this world, there's so much superficial Christianity. Superficial. Like, we don't want to have that perfect unity with other Christians. We rather have a superficial, distant, lack of substance Christianity where we just pretty much attend and have our own personal relationship with God. When that whole personal relationship with God thing should be taken out of our vocabulary because there's nothing uh, like... Like kind of like my own little personal relationship with God. It's just me and Him. Where in the Bible does it say it's just you and Him? Nowhere in the Bible it says it's you and Him. It's about us being together, one with the Father and being together. And the reality is every Sunday we come in and we walk in and our lives could be falling apart. Falling apart. Some of us might be homeless. Some of us might not even know how that we're going to pay the next bill. Some of us are in abusive relationships. Some of us are struggling with sicknesses. Some of us have been diagnosed with things that are scaring us. Like some of us feel like our entire lives are falling apart. But when we walk through these doors, we know all the Christian cliche. It's like, oh, praise God. You know, God is good. No, everything's good. You know, pretty much we put up this facade because we don't want to be united with anyone else in a sense. We don't want to be transparent. We don't want to have that closeness. But I just want to highlight this. The moment you don't want that closeness, you're actually living out the complete opposite of what Jesus was praying. You're literally going against what Jesus' heart's cry was when he was about to die. You're literally operating in the way that Satan would want you to operate, contrary to the way that God would want you to operate and something else I want to bring up we always go to God for God to answer our prayers it's amazing to think that here's an opportunity for us to choose to be an answer to Jesus's prayer there's not too many time periods where you see like in scripture that where it's like wow It's like, here's Jesus praying for something and I could actually make a decision to be a part of the answer to Jesus's prayer. And that decision is to surrender to God and to love others also. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, it says this. And obviously, you know this, the greatest commandment, love the Lord, your God. That word love, what word is that? Original Greek, agape. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this love, is that a different, I wonder, different, for for loving your neighbor, would it be a different um, word in Greek? What do you think it is? It's agape the same type of love that you devote to God, the same type of love that you express to God to express to your neighbor. Love, agape your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So at this time, you could bow your heads. And if you just know in your life that you just need God to fill your life with his love, his agape love. Because remember, to, to be able to love with this type of love, you have to be connected with him. It's the only way. And if you know that you just need to surrender to him, you need to lay things down and you need to ask God for forgiveness and just even just ask him to Fill you with his love. I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at. Stand to your feet. Don't worry about anyone else that, that's here. Realizing that you just want more of God in your life, more of his presence, that you're not satisfied where you're at. You're not satisfied with having one foot in the world, one foot following God. You're not satisfied with having a superficial relationship with God. You're not satisfied with just going through the motions and not having that deep relationship with God and being one with him as it was expressed. I just want you to stand to your feet and I want you to talk to God. Let him know, let him know that you want more of him. Let him know that you want to surrender your life. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to cleanse you. Ask him to fill you. Ask him for forgiveness for being prideful if that's you. That you're going through life without that relationship. And as we know, God doesn't just want us to express love to him, he wants us to truly love each other with that agape love. That love that forces us to go beyond our boundaries, forces us to go beyond our comfort zone, that love that makes us love people that are different from us, that don't speak the same language of us, that come from different countries or different backgrounds, have different beliefs, uh, have different political parties. The list could go on and on. That love is a love that comes from the Father's heart. And as we spend time to close this service, I'm going to challenge all of you now. I want you to find someone near you, someone especially if you don't really know them even better, and I want you to go up to that person and tell them that you love them. And you might say, Carlos, that's, that's awkward. Uh, I don't know them. And I, like for me to tell them that I love them. You will be taking steps to answer Jesus's prayer by doing that. He says and prays for us to be one, for us to be one. So I'm going to give you about two, three minutes just to find someone near you. Let them know that you love them. And I want you to pray for each other. It doesn't have to be long, literally just like a 30 second prayer, just praying a blessing over them and their family. But just take this moment, to do something that you would probably never do, but you would do it because you would rather be obedient to God's heart than to be comfortable in your own comfort zone. So if everyone could find someone right now, just close to you, let them know that you love them. And then afterwards, we're going to close in prayer together. And if you're watching through the live stream, you could tune in, comment that you're agreeing in prayer as well, inbox us, stay connected. So as we get ready to close in prayer, if everyone could stand, hold hands with someone by you. And for those of you that are still praying, continue to pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and we thank you for every person that's present, everyone watching us through the live stream as well. Father God, we're lost without you. We need you more than our next breath. Forgive us, God, for going through life thinking we could do it on our own, God. Forgive forgive us for neglecting having that close relationship you want us to have with you. God, right now within each of our hearts and souls and minds, God, we pray that you would give us a deep hunger for prayer. We pray for a deep hunger to worship you, a deep hunger to surrender everything to you, Lord God, and a deep hunger to obey you, God, that our food would be to do your will, Lord God, more than anything else. And God, I pray that you would make us one, God, that you would make us one, that everyone here would realize that we're one, we're part of the same family, that we have the same father. God, I pray that right now you would heal every heart, that you would break every chain, that you would lift every burden, Lord God, that you would break down any strongholds in the the minds of people, Lord God, but that truly that they would be loved and unity, Lord God, and strength as we hold hands, as we hold each other accountable, and as we love each other the way that you have called us to love, Lord God. Not the way the world wants us to love, but the way you want us to love, which is agape love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Love you. Take care.
0: Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelisabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.